welcome to Payments Insights. I'm Jyoti Rambai, editor at the Payments Association and your host for today's episode. Here with me today is Manish Gog, who is a mentor of our Digital Currencies Project Working Group and advisory board member, as well as investor and director at VE3. Welcome, Manish. Hi, Jyoti. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about tokenized deposits. But before we dive in, Manish, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. Well, I wear multiple hats, uh, but more recently, I'm now involved more heavily in the V3, where I'm the investor as well as the board director. So V3 is a technology company. It provides uh, technology from, uh, let's say, from AI to cloud and to blockchain. And we recently actually uh, 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 published a news which is about uh, providing a platform, one-click blockchain node deployment platform, uh, which allows to start any kind of pilot project, including uh, you know the CBDC projects, because it's provide you all the Hyperledger technology like Hyperledger Besu with just one single-click deployment. This was made possible uh, through our partnership with various partners. And this is just to allow to sort of more projects, more POCs uh, to be to be there. So great to be here, and I because I really involved in this uh, this technology. Just from from that perspective, I'm also involved in Open CBDC uh, research, which is the initiative by uh, by MIT. So I love this topic, and that's why I'm great involved in digital currencies project as well. It's great to be here. Thank you, Manish. Um, so. Let's start with the basics. Um, what are tokenized deposit and why is it important? I mean, why are we talking about it today? Uh, if you see the uh, advancement in the technology and if you see the regulatory as well as the general uh, sort of public and general sort of, you know, the focus on the DLT and this term about te- uh, tokenized deposit actually comes from DLT. It's a purely uh, digital token representation. If you look at in a traditional means uh, where we all have deposits in the bank and we see this as numbers through our mobile app and through our website, we might see them just as a, a digital anyway. See, the difference between the uh, those deposit and a tokenized deposit is that tokenized deposit can take many different forms. So our bank deposits just are instruments of money. Uh, you can buy things, you can do things, but they cannot take another form of it. And so the uses and applications of it differs significantly. When we first, uh, uh, if you look at the technology evolution from last sort of 200, 300 years, there was an evolution of paper, how we come about using a paper as a money and then paper as for securities and instrument, instrument, you know, writing all of the instrumentation as well as the rights into the paper. So that was a change if you compare to what happened 500 years ago. Similarly, this tokenized deposit as a technology, it's a change in terms of the technology evolution because we now have a new technology available which allow us to have much more use, uh, different use cases of the, of the digital tokens. So just a purely, uh, you know, the representation in a DLT world, you can say the DLT is the distribution laser technology uh, or a blockchain it's not necessarily about just about a specific cryptocurrency, but it's just the technology where we use this tokenized deposit as a term. And it gets more relevant because uh, we had digital pounds consultation from uh, treasuries just a few months back and how CBDC 
would enable tokenized deposits if we are going to have multiple level of CBD, the CBDCs between, let's say, the wholesale retail bank, wholesale banking as well as the retail banking. So that's where the tokenized deposit will come into the way. Okay. Um, can you give us an example of what a tokenized deposit is? So uh, an example, uh, in terms of the, there are various, it, it's very recent if you look at, it's not that we've been talking or debating about this for for many years. Uh, tokenized deposit in a, you can say in a uh, DLT world, it just would be a token number in terms of which represents uh, digitally. And you can hold those tokens in a wallet. Okay. Uh, and you can say that that wallet is a digital wallet. There is no representation of the physical form of physical paper, paper in that way. So that's where the distinctions happen between the normal bank deposit and the digital tokens. So you can say digital tokens or tokenized deposits has probably roughly about three levels, if we can define that way. Okay. Um, no, that makes sense. So um, you touched upon the consultation there before. Um, and earlier this year, we had the financial services and markets bill, which got the royal assent, and that means it will be coming into force soon. Now, that legislation lays the foundations for regulating crypto assets. So what impact then does that have on tokenized deposits? So that's for banks, businesses, and consumers. Yeah. So basically, it's a welcome uh, uh, sort of change in the industry. Uh, the uh, while the technology have moved further and further, regulation is now catching up with the technology. And there was a real sort of kind of gap between what technology was allowing to do in terms of the in instrumentation of as our application in use in, in the financial market or, or or in terms of the exchange of value. But now the regulation provide that clarity and certainty that how you could use tokenized deposits what sort of uh, legal backing would be there. So the new bill, financial services and markets, will provide that certainty that how we could, uh, you know, how different business models could be there and how uh, uh, legal regulatory mechanism would provide certainty to it. And also, this also, from a UK perspective, if you look at this, provides a base for us to uh, build more of the, this technology, use more of this technology, and really become a sort of... Uh, uh, either a leader, if not leader, to move, uh, you know, have, you know, further up in the uh, space. Okay. Now, we know the government is committed to bringing in a secondary legislation, details of which are relatively unknown. Um, again, what impact is this having on both, I guess, the user experience and privacy rights? Because I know you mentioned the development of technology there as well. Yeah. So, I think we have to see this in relation to the, uh, you know, the CBDC consultation as well, and how the public debate about this is evolving or moving in direction. So there is people, you know, have you can say the various emotions attached to the privacy. Uh, they get very sort of, you know, the uh, uh, hesitation or sort of get very concerned. Whenever, the skeptic, skeptic uh, yeah. in terms of the when we think about the privacy, because if you see data breach is very common place, and every other day you would hear a data breach, and you sort of you feel that you stop actually tracking data breaches now. Every other day that you so you think about that, if this technology is allowing more data collection, 
if it is the case, if it allow more data collection or if it make it more transparent, then what privacy consideration we would have to keep ourselves as a simple human or simple you know citizen uh, to safe. So that's where uh, this comes in. But if you look at DLT can allow multiple level of uh, privacy and depending on the uses of the uh, token or application of the token. For example, if you are buying a normal goods and services, you can have the privacy which is completely anonymous up to a, let's say, certain transaction value, for example, which is a low value, which you do not want to, you know, anyone, including the central bank or a retail bank to track what you're buying or what you're not buying. And then you can have, let's say, if you do a higher value, let's say for a, for example, a uh, property, buying of a property or selling of a property, which is a much higher, uh, you know, value and also uh, is a rare occurrence in the life, in the events of, a, you know, citizen's life or person's life, you only do few, except, you know, there are obviously there are exceptions. But then you would have more AML and more KYC. You probably, uh, you would be open to share more information with the bank. So right now, if you look at the current the current uh, scenario with the traditional uh, deposits or with the banking technology, the bank decides in your case. You don't really have a choice where and what information you share and not share. With this application, you can actually combine and give more flexibility or more control to the end user or to the end customer itself. Okay, so then where does this secondary legislation fit into all of that? Because at the moment, banks, businesses, consumers, we don't actually know what's going to be included in that. Yeah, I think it's about, you know, the uh, what sort of, uh, you know, the mechanism with there to allow these models, these business models to come into the market. For example, what authorizations would be needed? Okay. Or what sort of compliance would be needed? What sort of AML would be needed or KYC checks would be needed? So... If you look at the debate about CBDC or tokenized deposit, there's a question around, should bank be the only entity to allow the issuance of the, let's say, the retail banking tokens or tokenized deposit? Can businesses, can they hold tokenized deposits? Can they issue tokenized deposits? So these kind of questions becomes relevant for the secondary uh, legislations. Okay. And then I know you touched upon CBDCs already, but then what role exactly would that play? So, see, I think of CBDC as a base platform. Okay. Just like our Bank of England is, is you can say, the, is at the base of our entire monetary system. We or you or I probably don't deal with the Bank of England directly. Uh, we deal with our own uh, personal bank, uh, whether it's Barclays, HSBC, or NetWest, but they deal with the central bank. So because central banks provides the monetary and regulatory framework for them to operate in this entire economic uh, cycle. And so I see that the CBDC would be a sort of a base layer or would be sort of a platform layer. And then you would have multiple different type of uh, tokenized deposits or tokens which will be issued by either banks or businesses to the consumers. Okay. And I, I want to move um, to, sorry, I'm going to repeat that. So I want to move on to now the bigger picture. What impact can tokenized deposits and a CBDC have on the UK economy going forward? And by this, I mean, could it increase economic output? Could it 
increase the value of sterling, for example? Yeah, sure. Well, I I think I have a specific view on this, which may not be uh, kind of a general view. And I believe uh, all the applications of technology or the use of technology should be the betterment of general public or society at large. So, and, and, and when I'm thinking about that, I did not think, you know, tokenized deposit or CBDC just in the context of increased customer experience or improved customer experience. So we are all living in this economic uh, conditions uh, right now, which are very uh, not, you know, uh, working for many of the people. So, and in that scenario, so it's, what is important is we increase the value in everyone's pocket, increase the sort of money in everyone's pocket rather than just the customer experience. experience. And that way, I think uh, CBDC and tokenized deposit can play a role in terms of removing or reducing frictions to do businesses and not just doing business within the UK, but outside the UK. Uh, uh, it can be developed in a way that it can allow a lot more trade, a lot more export that we can do with the ex- outside businesses or with other countries, which can increase the economic output overall for the UK. So, for example, uh, if I am a uh, I am a handcraft maker and I'm just sitting here in UK and I want to sell to US or I want to sell to sort of, uh, let's say, uh, some other countries and can I easily get money or send money? Uh, so if if we develop technology in such a way that it can allow more trade, then I'm sure it would be in the betterment of general public and society. So are you suggesting that tokenized deposits could become a universal thing on a, at a global level? Yeah, so what I see is that there should be an more effort on interoperability of tokenized deposit. Every country is going to have their own tokenized deposits or CBDCs. What we require is a mechanism, standards or processes about to interoperate among those uh, countries so that it can facilitate more trade, more exchange of value, more exchange of uh, things and stuffs. Okay. Um, That's actually all we've got time for today. But um, I guess I have one final question, and that is in the next few years, what do you think we should look out for? Well, I think uh, it's all about digital. Uh, uh, and when we say digital, we all are spend most of our time in mobile and, and on internet. So what we really need is more application to be open. When I say more application, more use cases, uh, which increases access and increases sort of the, uh, you know, increases access for general person. So that's where I think... Uh, more applications of the blockchain and DLT, uh, which will come into the force or come into the market. Okay, no, that's great. Um, Listen, thank you very much for coming into our studio today. Um, That's all, folks. Um, If you are interested in digital currencies, please do check out our content on our website. That's thepaymentsassociation.org. And join us again soon on Payments Insights. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. To access more podcasts, videos and articles, go to thepaymentsassociation.org.